Welcome to Inaudible. My name is Jeremy Wyland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Masterson. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the archives of LL Research, an organization dedicated to sharing spiritual information with the world. You can find out more about LL Research at llresearch.org. The archives contain transcripts of messages from allegedly discarnate sources who claim to hail from an organization they call the Confederation of Planets in service to the Infinite Creator. If you would like an audio version of the transcripts, please subscribe to Ryan's other podcast, Living Love and Light, available on all platforms. Ryan and I will try to provide analysis and commentary on the philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes, and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. Thanks for joining us on this journey. Ryan, how are we doing today? We are doing well. I am getting my second wind, I, th- I think maybe a half an hour, uh, 45 minutes ago. I felt ready for a nap, but now I don't. I feel good. Maybe it was that little meditation we did before <laughs> before we how's, started recording. How's the heat in the Northwest right now? It's perfect. It's, it's yeah. just on the humid side, but it's perfect. It's in the low 80s, so... Like clockwork, our weather is between high 50s and low 80s, day after day after yeah. day. How's it, how's it out where you are? It's hot. It's hot. I was on the river yesterday, and it nice. was pretty hot. <laughs> how, hot, hot is, how hot is hot when you say it Oh, like, like mid-90s with humidity. And what's the relative humidity like? Oh, I... Gross terrible okay the kind where you get out of the shower and you feel like you'd never took a shower to begin with yeah nearly there nearly okay. there <laughs> okay not quite as bad as it could be but mm. hey mm. man at least you get some river time wait are there mosquitoes out by the river is it a c- cool river is it warm is it clear is it dirty describe this experience for me <laughs> it's the james river in richmond virginia uh, and, uh, it is a river that's gotten way better in the last 20 years. Um, the sturgeon are coming up the river again, which they had gone away from the pollution for did, a long time. Did you say the sturgeon? Yes. Oh, what these a, are like, what a beautiful fish. fish. What a beautiful, <laughs> I'm lying listeners. <laughs> it's, it's an ugly, they it's one of the call, ugliest fish. <laughs> they used to call him Charles city bacon here in, here in colonial Virginia. <laughs> no kidding. Apparently it's pretty good, but, uh, mm. yeah, the, the water is clear. The only problem is that in Richmond, you got to watch the water level, you know, it dips before four. If it dips below four feet, you're not going to go anywhere in your tube or your canoe mm-hmm. or your kayak or whatever. And I usually do tubing cause you can, you know, drink, yeah. uh, if it goes above five feet, uh, you have danger of the sewers overflowing into the water. <laughs> so you want to stay out of it oh, then. Oh, I see. Yeah. So it's not perfect, but like if it stays between four and five, my wife is really into tubing. So she keeps track of this stuff. And uh, when the water's moving, it's really fun, but it was really low. It was like closer to four feet um, yesterday. Hmm. And the wind, the headwinds were really bad. So we were getting blown upstream. Mm-hmm. Like we couldn't just float down. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Huh. And how was the water temperature? Is it nice? Yeah. Real nice. Mm. Real nice. Lucky. Warmer than the, what? Like like some clouds came in and it, the water was warmer than the air. Okay. Because when it's shallow, right? There's less water to warm. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Nice. Do you have any rivers that you guys go in out there? Or? Not out here where I'm at in the, in the Pacific Catch some Northwest. some salmon in your hand? <laughs> I wouldn't. That'd be cool. 
Yeah. Um, you know, where I grew up in, in Spokane, um, maybe the thing to do would be to float down the St. Joe River. And the St. Mm-hmm. Joe River is a river that flows out of the Rockies into a, a big lake called Coeur d'Alene Lake. It's actually a great, the St. Joe River is a great place to go fly fishing. I guess it's kind of a, uh, it's a hot destination for fly fishers. But the water is always cold. <laughs> so you can float down it, but it's going to be a chilly ride. Yeah, that's uh, that's a different experience than I'm used to. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and then out here, it's you know the lakes might feel good here in this in the Seattle area, but the Puget Sound always cold, you know. And then if you go yeah. all the way to the coast, it's no way, you know. I think I believe the the ocean current is pulling water down from Alaska. And in, if in case you don't know, it's cold up in Alaska, <laughs> so the water is just never warm, you know, down here or up here. So. We do other things. <laughs> we go hiking or, you know, we go buy smoked salmon rather than <laughs> trying to catch, <laughs> trying to catch the salmon. So, yeah. Heck yeah. But other than that, man, things are good out here. Sweet. Yeah. I know today it was kind of a big question. What were we going to cover? I didn't feel like anything was really resonating with, uh, with me. And then I ran across this transcript from, you planted the seed about post 9-11 quo transcripts. And I looked through one and then I got to another that really kind of hit home, at least as it pertains, not just to where I'm at today, but just the general theme of living life in our culture, in our world, in third density, whatever you want to say, because the question the group asks quo pertains to fear and i think most people can agree fear drives a lot of human action and things that we deal with day to day if not on the surface then below the surface but that driving force is there so i thought this would be a great transcript to read through to hash out some ideas because there's a couple good gems that also tie in some of our earlier sessions when we're talking about the energy raise and and energy blockage. So I think this would be a cool one to review. Yeah, there's there's at least four post 9-11 quo transcripts that deal with 9-11 in some fashion and they take different, you know, routes. Uh, I think you picked the one that has the most philosophy in it. Oh, I dare say joy. Um, it has the most to work with in terms of expansive, expansive, uh, discussion. Um, yeah, this is a pretty good one. Uh, a lot of things to do with control, with faith, with Mm -hmm. the chakras, like Mm -hmm. you said, the energy centers and this really confounding idea about the, the the true nature of love and it the way that it encompasses everything else even the things that we consider to be the opposite of love i still find this to be such a paradox but what does quo say all the time paradox is the signal <laughs> of the sublime and spiritual right that's how you know that is thank you for bringing that up because i i had forgotten that saying and i remember the first time you told me that it just it hit. It felt like I was hit over the head with a brilliant idea that paradox knows that you're on the track of on the right track of the spiritual, you know. 
Yeah. So, um, but this session, this this session was on Sunday, October twenty first, two thousand and one, and I'm trying to put myself in their shoes because I remember. I mean, everyone I think who was alive remembers where they were at September eleventh. I was a senior in high school. I uh, on the West Coast, you know, we're three hours behind, so I wake up early in the morning, like 6.30, to eat my morning cereal. And on the news, my mom always had the the financial news on, but the news was, you know, there was a plane that hit. And then by the time I get to school, a second plane had hit. And the entire day in every single class, we just watched the news as, you know, everyone was in shock. And I don't, I after that became fuzzy, but I remember the general vibe throughout the rest of the year, at least, was very, very interesting, very different, right? Communities were coming together, it felt like. Uh, what, like the Bloods and the Crips got along for the first time? You know, there were just crazy stories of people coming together in the United States um, after that attack. Where were you? What were you doing? Well, I was a senior in college. I was, uh, I had my first place with my then girlfriend, now wife. Um, and I had gotten up to go to class and, uh, (laughs) this is funny. Uh, this is like, you know, pretty early in the internet, right? So I dial up on my gateway 2000 (laughs) computer, whatever the heck I had. Mm -hmm. And, uh, (laughs) I go to CNN to see, you know, what the heck's going on. Uh, no clue of anything going on and I can't get to it. So I go to some other websites for news, can't get to them. The only site that I could re- reach was uh, Drudge Report, no which kidding. I have to tell you, I don't like Matt Drudge's politics, but I still check Drudge Report to this day mm-hmm. because it was there for me when no one else was. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> and it was the same experience. Oh, a plane hit the building. Like, that's that's an awful accident, right? Yes. And then, you know, about, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes later, you hear the second plane. You're like, oh, oh no accident. Yep. Yep. I remember getting and, chills uh, when it was the first the first plane hit. And it was just new. It was like, oh my gosh, how could that happen? What, yeah, yeah, what a terrible accident. I remember getting chills when the second one hit because no one needed to tell you that two accidents like that don't happen. This is something else. Um, yeah, that was a game changer. Yep. So mm-hmm. yeah, I just stayed glued to the TV for a long time until I, you know, thought better of it realized that they were just recycling the same yes the same talking points over and over again i will say like i'm going to take this opportunity to uh mention something that i don't ever hear mentioned which is that on that day i remember the news reporting car bombs in new york city Hmm. and i don't ever hear anybody talk about it but i distinctly it could be you know mandela effect i don't know Sure. It, it would have to be other people would have to remember it for it to be Mandela effect. But um, I just remember it being like, oh, my point of view is like, oh, we're under attack. We're going to have a massive overreaction because of this. Mm-hmm. That's what I was worried about. You know, I mean, of course, I, I grieved for the people, but I was already pretty uh, far down at that time. You know, libertarian philosophy. Yeah. And I remember I remember that week uh, writing a op-ed for my campus newspaper trying to calm everybody down and you know you know it kind of uh 
one of the things that I thought is that in situations like this, we want to very, uh, very understandably uh, take the side of the victims and kind of be the vehicle for the victims getting justice. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like, if we do that, we're going to turn the Middle East into glass. Mm. Like those are the last people that should be calling the shots on our foreign policy right now. We need everybody to like calm down and, it was it was a really scary time. I mean, and it was it was perfectly reasonable to be scared that we were going to get more attacks too. Oh yeah, for all we knew, you know. Certainly, certainly. My mom and I were at the 2013 Boston Marathon bombings. And, oh wow! Uh, yeah, and I remember we were just a couple blocks away. Straight shot, we could see the, we could see we could see and hear you know see the explosions, and we didn't know exactly what was going on. Um, Though we didn't feel good about it, but for some reason we kept moving towards the finish line. And I remember, you know, running into people that were fleeing and had trauma all over their face. You know, they were, it was clear something absolutely terrible had happened. And so, you know, we turned around, but it was a very surreal event. I won't get into it here because it's not the point of this particular session, but, um, uh, and another crazy. attack that has a lot of questions around it, right? Just like 9-11. <laughs> certainly, certainly. But, yeah. oh, oh I, I remembered that because you said you remembered reports of car bombings. Well, when those, when Boston essentially locked down, you know, when there were, yeah. when they chased them through the city, et cetera. Um, but there were also reports of other homemade incendiary devices sitting at like libraries and are also throughout town. So I feel you. It's like when you get reports of this going on, all of a sudden rumor becomes the news or maybe it's factual. It just kind of gets buried later, but it yeah. becomes the news and it's like, Hey guys, check it. Be careful over here. Be careful over here. There there's reports of this. And, um, and you know, so it's hard to say that that's the wrong way to process it in the moment. No, yeah. Like you don't know what's going Every on. Every suspicious package that's sitting on someone's front porch, you're like, well, that could be something bad, you know? Um, yeah. So getting to the core here, we're, you know, this group, the group meditation in October 21st, they're only a month and a half out from the largest attack on American soil since Pearl Harbor, you know? And... I can see, you can see where they're coming from with the question. The question they are asking, quo, reads like this. Our question today has to do with fear. Before September 11th, everybody had the normal fears of having enough money, food, friendships, harmonious work relationships, and so forth. Now there seems to be a general tenor for many people of a foreboding, a fear, that there might be more attacks, that we are not safe, that we are losing our freedoms, that something is going to get us. We are wondering if Quo could give us some information concerning how we can handle our fears. How can fear best be handled by this sincere spiritual seeker? Is there a way of changing our attitudes, our behavior, our thinking? We would appreciate whatever Kuo has to say. And again, I love this question because here they're asking the question because it has been driven by recent events. But this question could be asked today. 
hey, Quo, how am I supposed to handle my fear of getting this Delta variant that, you know, that is all over the news? How am I supposed to handle this fear of never being able to buy a home and start a family because prices are too high and I'm just not earning enough at work? Ad infinitum. (laughs) This is a question that pertains to most people at any point in our lives. There's always a fear. So love this question and I'm very excited to get into here and hear what Quo has to say. It's really interesting to uh, just before we jump in that um, what we're talking about is an issue of fear that everybody shares, right? That this is a moment that just about everybody who's our age or even 10 years younger than us remembers. And so it does give us a concrete example that we all share to ponder and to ask Quo about. I think it's a great, a great lens through which to look at fear and love. Yes fear and love. Now, there's kind of a, call it a preamble to this session. Now, Quo has a standard paragraph of intro, like we are the principle of Quo, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's kind of like a backstory. And what I would like to do is kind of just hustle through the backstory so we can get to the meat and potatoes. But what Quo, I believe, is trying to do is say, yeah, there's fear. But let's untangle this concept of fear and let's reframe how we how we view fear. Let's reframe it and try to view it through the lens of love. And therein lies the challenge for humans. Fear equals love. No way, Jose. You know, but quote tries their best to uh, lead us you know, lead a horse to water. And um, so let's see what Quo has to say about fear, about untangling that knot and trying to set the stage for how we can deal with fear. Okay. So again, this is, this is Carla channeling. It's October 21st, 2001, a nice Sunday. And again, I'm going to skip the intro paragraph, but Quo states, Fear is a four-lettered word, as this instrument would term it. The conversation before this meditation brought up the question of how fear could possibly be love, and perhaps that is where we shall start. Often it is helpful to move back to material that seems very simple and very obvious, yet within it lies the end of a string that can get very tangled. Yet, if you tug at it from the end of its origin, it unravels far more easily than if the attempt is made to tug on the string of fear past the tangle point in the present moment, where the fear is living. So let us move back to the beginning of this particular string of reason and concept and gaze at love itself and what we think about love. Love is another four-lettered word. It is a very difficult word to deny knowledge of by anyone in any density, yet certainly within your density, the word has so many overtones and undertones because of constant usage to mean several quite different kinds of affection that it is a difficult word to use precisely. When we speak of love, We are speaking of that which is the essence of the Creator. The love of which we speak is far more powerful, 
far more, far more coherent, shall we say, far more crystallized than the love of family or mates, or even the overriding love of brotherhood and humankind. Love, as we speak of it, is not simply an emotion, but rather an utterly coherent thought. It is a thought that is so powerful that it has created all that there is. This logos, which we call love, this living entity that is the creator and includes the created, is an infinite concept. Indeed, one word for love is intelligent infinity. The essence of love lies in this infinity and in its intelligence, which is the intelligence of the Creator. So we're two paragraphs in, and essentially we are reiterating old points that the Confederation continues to bring up. That all is love, that there is one original thought and that is love, you know, there's one force in the universe and that is love, that everything we see, everything we experience is love. Well, I think it's interesting that they go to the trouble of pointing out that the love they're talking about is not an emotion. Right yes. away, I think that clears up a lot of uh, paradox around emotion. Um, yes, it is a, an utterly coherent thought, so coherent that it's able to create an entire system of universes. And um, that it is drawing upon, if I understand correctly, it's drawing upon this vast potential of intelligent infinity, right? Hmm. Um, so I think about this a lot when I say the Lord's Prayer in the morning. Um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, what I think of that as a, a symbol for is... You know, I think our father, all of our father, not just my father, mm. but all of our father, our source is in this intelligent infinity. Our source is in this unmanifested part of the creator through from which we pull into manifestation, uh, you know, the, his kingdom and his will. Right. So just just to give a little bit of, of uh, uh, to, to, to riff on this a little bit that. That um, this, if we can understand uh, the nuances of this love and how expansive they're talking about it, maybe we can ground that fear. We can find where that fear fits in, and kind of the negative space around that fear that can help us see the full spectrum. Right. Hmm. I also want to bring up that. First, I agree, and I'm glad you bring up that point that that Quo is pointing out. Here you have this emotion love that there's so many different aspects to it, to that word. And they're going for something a little different, maybe a little deeper. And I think even if you learn, if you, if you take a psychology 101 class, I think you learn about love, the different kinds of love, you know, that you've got that infatuation, that lust or that lustful love. You have that long, deep commitment love. There's the familial love, you know, there's so many different kinds and again, I'll go back to uh, my fascination with near-death experiences, but one person put it well, can't remember who was, who was talking about their, their experience, but they said that, that that love that you have, say, for your kids is so different than the love that you have for your spouse or maybe your best friend. Mm -hmm. But even that is just a part 
a small part of that unconditional, enormous love of the creator that you feel um, when you're going through that NDE, that near-death experience. And, you know, I guess it's just interesting for me to, to keep that in mind, that as much love as I feel for some people, um, it's even the powerful love I feel for my son and my soon-to-be-born daughter. It's just a small slice of the pie of, of what is there, you know, it's just a small, small picture into the power that is the, that intelligent infinity. Absolutely. And I think part of the problem is that it's, it's language. That's the problem. Mm. It's the desire to have precise taxonomies. Mm. How can we have precise taxonomies in an utterly coherent thought? So coherent that it can create a universe, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's a meaningless thing. We, 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 when we speak, we're on the surface of things. Yeah. We have to be. That's the interface uh, that we're all at. And uh, that's why you need meditation to drop you down to that lower level. Not so you don't use words, but so that you can choose the right words for the right moment and the right concept. So that the, very, so that the type of love that's needed at that moment can come through. Hmm. Yeah, great point. Quo continues. This is a longer paragraph, but they're digging in into this I- idea of this uh, this infinite, inf- uh, intelligent infinity, this one thought. Quo continues. This creative thought, by the action of free will, by the indwelling of possibility, has chosen to create light. Using this building block, which is the very fabric of space and time, the creator has builded a universe. All that therein is, is made of light. All that is light was created by love. Consequently, all that is experienced in the creation is one thing, and that is love. No matter how distorted that energy, its substance is the same energy. The same ancestry as the lightest and brightest of energies. All positive and negative seeming appearances, no matter how far from love and light they seem to be, are still made up of love. Just as that which is new can become old quickly, just as that which is whole can become broken in a heartbeat, the creations of the Father within your experience all have a great deal of plasticity. Each of you is an agent of this Creator with a certain degree of latitude in creating the sub-universe, which is your personal reality. Each of you, then, is a creature compounded of love, moving and having your being within an energy field that is made of love and shaped by your distortions of that love. Each of you comes into contact with a very number of other energy fields, whether people, groups of people, or societies. All of these energy fields have their being within the larger energy field which is the Creator. And this is true, whether gazed at from the perspective of third density or from a perspective of higher densities. Because of our experiences within higher densities, certainly we experience a different universe in terms of what we sense and see. And yet, we too 
see the interplay of fields of energy, and know that all is truly one. There's a line in here that, again, I love. And this goes back to an old Hatan quote, I think, that said that essentially the creator created the universe and in an infinite act of humility, or in an act of infinite humility, allowed his creation to recreate that creation. And there's a part of here that says, each of you is an agent of this creator with a certain degree of latitude in creating the sub-universe which is your personal reality. Noting that we are all yeah, that, creators. We are all creators. That that stood out to me too, that it is not just the nature of us being created that, is, that partakes of love. It's also our perceptive ability too. Our perceptive experience is part of the way that we recapitulate love. And that perceptive ability, whether it's a perception of fear anxiety, boredom, whatever it is, all of that is uh, more or less distorted versions of that same loving potential that we always bring to everything. Mm. That is, that is uh, uh, an idea that ascribes to us a great deal of power. Mm -hmm. to, to put other, other, other uh, uh, factors of deity aside, like that power I think is sometimes what scares us and we don't want to take responsibility for that. We would instead prefer to be uh, to maybe go back to a more second density point of view where things are happening to us that we don't have control over. And we should be afraid of that and try to select for things that we do have control over. But I'm getting ahead of us. <laughs> we should put that on the docket for things to talk about. Feeling responsibility for your role, your being as a creator of your own, as Quo says, sub-universe, rather than being that second density creature where things are just happening to you. Because there is such power in accepting responsibility for who you are and what you're capable of doing. But at the same time, you got to clean through a bunch of BS, kind of like self-imposed judgments. And there's a lot of orange ray work i think that's got to be done to you know to, to kind of get to that i don't want to say level but to just come to that realization um i think that would be great conversation um maybe something we should put on the list yeah what what we're talking one way to term what we're talking about is the discipline of the personality which I will, I will remind you was one of the topics I thought we should maybe deal with today. We should. So, uh, you know, that's definitely something I didn't have any good, uh, 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 transcripts for that though. So I, okay. My bad. All right, Jeremy, write it down today. Recording July 25th. Ryan doesn't know what disciplines of the personality means. So when we do this, when we do this and we should, you're going to be driving the bus. I'm going to be not just playing dumb. I'm going to be dumb and asking like, what? <laughs> so let's do it on the list. mission of humility on par with the creators, I will say. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Well, continuing here, um, Quo is about to get into kind of the meat and potatoes of this question. So Quo's tried to establish, look, everything is love. And Quo continues. To move a little further into the question of fear, 
If you will think for a moment of your energy body, you may see that each center of energy within your body is vulnerable to distortion in a particular way. And we use that term, distortion, to indicate fear. For fear is a very common distortion of love. Within the red ray, the energy tends to be blocked if there is a fear of survival. Within the orange ray, in the lower belly, the natural distortion of that energy comes with the experience of attempting to relate to other energy fields, to other people. When there is a difficulty and there seems to be a threat from the personal relationship, this lower belly energy can be blocked or otherwise uncomfortably distorted. In the upper part of the belly, in the solar plexus, the yellow ray energy center can easily be blocked by fears having to do with the family, the society, one's place within that family or society. In short, one's dealings with the larger groups that go beyond personal relationships and move into the roots of being, the family, the mated relationship, and so forth. And a great deal of that which many are experiencing during this particular autumn season among your peoples has to do with the energies that became manifest on the 11th of September of this year. These are basically yellow ray fears. And the solar plexus of many, many entities within your culture has been punched, shall we say, hard, and given the opportunity to choose fear, not just once, but many times. Okay, this is interesting to me. Where Kuo is stating that the fear that society is feeling is societally based. <laughs> it's not that red ray fear of survival, that I'm going to die in a terrorist attack. It has something to do with our role in society, our relationships with the larger group within our family. That's, that, just, uh, that just felt pointed out to me, you know, um, because my gut reaction would be, hey, Quo, we're, we've got these fears. We just had this terrorist attack. How can we deal with this fear? My gut reaction would say, oh, maybe you're scared of, uh, you know, being attacked, <laughs> you know, but Quo is saying, that we're on a different level. I think that's true. Um, I think very, very few people after September 11th, maybe I'm wrong. But the sense that I got was that it wasn't that people were scared that they themselves were going to die. They were scared that they didn't know what was going to happen next. Mm. Mm. Right. Is it going to get worse? And is that going to make my life worse? All the relationships, all that I have to my job and to mm. my security, my sense of security, uh, not just not just um, my physical security of like not not uh, ending my life in some way, but and I and I felt this a lot, and I've and I've I've reckoned with this a lot. Uh, the dread that we have that something is going to change in our lives that's going to make it less comfortable, less certain. We're going to have to worry more. We're going to have to think more. We're going to have to apply energy to life 
more and we already feel like we apply so much attention and energy yeah. to so many uh, mundane details. Yeah. Um, I think people, and I think people still feel like that. I think people feel like that even when terrorist attacks don't happen. So to me, it makes a lot of sense. The thing that, the thing that threw me off a little bit was what they were talking about with the orange ray. Hmm. I never feel like uh, the Confederation get, can get clear on what that orange ray really is. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> it's, I agree. But here it seems, I mean, it seems okay, right? I mean, they're talking. It's not that far off from what they've said in the past, but it's just, I don't know. I never feel like I get confirmed in my own concept, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I find when I'm clearing my chakras uh, in the morning that it is always in the belly in that orange ray that I have the hardest time getting feedback of any kind. Interesting. So it's just a personal, personal thing I'm going through. <laughs> I hear you. I, it would be fun to talk about personal experiences with meditation because whenever, whenever I meditate about like my purpose in life, the only message I ever get is that I need to work harder in my job, <laughs> like that I'm not committed enough to, I'm not putting in enough, you know, wholehearted effort and, and love and tender care into my career. <laughs> so, and I'm like, is that right? I thought I was meditating to pull myself out of that, but, um, Anyway, maybe uh, maybe we can talk about that later. You can help me sort through. <laughs> you can help me. Oh, sort I'm through. writing that one down. Um, <laughs> so we have two topics to revisit. I'm going to make sure that I keep track of them. Perfect. You go ahead. Perfect. And keep going here. Quo continues. When fear closes or even partially blocks the energy that is flowing through the energetic body, energy moving into the heart becomes less and less depending upon how bad the blockage is. Consequently, the natural effect of allowing fear into the energy body in any settled way is to close the heart. When the heart center is not receiving very much energy, then it is that there is not sufficient energy to do work in consciousness. It may be said that one cannot hear when one is screaming. And in a way, that is what fear does. It deafens the ears of the heart. This paragraph is a grand slam paragraph. I think I'm going to, I'm going to just try to remember that term. This is, this one's a home run or a grand slam. This one hits hard and it is perfect. You can't hear when you're screaming. And how is it that you can express that beautiful green ray, unconditional love and understanding when you're dealing with fear on the lower levels, either fear of survival, fear of something in the orange ray that we can't quite wrap our heads around with any clarity, or your fear about how you stand within the group and how life is going to move forward together. How can you have, how can you express that unconditional love and This is where I zero in on as a person who is trying to find what does it mean to act with love and understanding to all. Well, at least it's good to know that I'm not going to be very good at my newfound hobby of trying to find love and everything if I'm also dealing with a meaningful amount of fear elsewhere. So perhaps my first challenge is dealing with my fears and coming to terms with fears. Um before trying to push forward 
What do you what do you think about well, that? It, it's interesting that they say when you allow fear into the energy body, that's not how I think of how fear manifests in me. I don't think of it as an allowing. I think of it as a once again, right? A happening to me. Mm. So right away they change the perspective that one is taking on this. And it's a very uh it's pregnant with a lot of uh potential for further digging. Uh, I don't know if now is the time to do that digging, though, because I don't think I have a lot to say about it other than that isn't that interesting. Well, it's a great seed to plant. And when you just said that, it made me think that there is constantly this higher perspective that the Confederation has that I'm trying to get insight into. And the best analogy I can figure out is this whole idea of, of, of love and how can a person doing bad things to another, how can that still constitute love? And I can think as a parent, you look at your kid and they do something bad. Well, something that a two-year-old does that is bad, you can look with some perspective and say, okay, this is a lesson they need to learn because they're gonna be a better person when they learn that there's a consequence with the action that they just took. There is a love in allowing my two-year-old to make mistakes that he needs to make in order to grow. And that feels like it's just a little taste into what this whole idea of free will and everything is love. Everything that's good and bad is still love because we have to learn these lessons. I think of that when, when you just said allowing the fear into the energy body. You're right. It doesn't feel like it's allowing. But maybe, but maybe. If I can try to settle into the perspective that we are eternal beings that reincarnate, that learn lessons. And if I try to take this eternal perspective that everything will be okay, then yeah, maybe fear is something that I do allow into my, into my energy body. Because what is there to fear when you are eternal? That nothing can ever truly damage your soul in the in the end game there is nothing to fear but how many of us have that outlook how many of us have that perspective i'd say very few so i i thank you for bringing that up because it, it just reminds me that oh yeah there's this higher perspective I, i'm trying to tap into yeah i think you're right i think it is about perspective in fact you know when you were because thank you for bringing that up like that that kind of squared the circle a little bit for me Allowing fear into the energy body, perhaps, is another way of saying allowing the perspective to contract. That's a good one, Jerry. So that the heart is no longer a concern. And when you are scared, when you have to survive, when mm. you have to fight, do you really want to be doing that with do an open work heart? In, no, you can't do work you in do consciousness, that. like they said. You can't do work in consciousness. And Jeremy, let me throw this out there: when they kept when yeah. in, in past raw sessions or even past uh, conscious channeling sessions, when they say the industrial revolution contained a lot of wanderers coming in to help try to alleviate that that terrible work day that every, you know everyone was in poverty and and how do you do spiritual work? How do you question? A higher how do you how do you grow spiritually when you're concerned minute by minute hour by hour day by day of just surviving of just making it to the next day you can't you can't yeah it moved you from a spirituality where you were 
you may have believed in a lot more divinity in everyday life, but you also believed in a lot more fear. Hmm. And you kind of parsed that divinity through the fear. Um, and you were mediated from your divinity by institutions like priests and stuff like that sure. to get to this more individual responsibility for contemplating uh, the creator that the industrial revolution makes possible. But then it also opens up all these other, you know, it's, it's like within, you know, the same time as the industrial revolution is Friedrich Nietzsche saying God is dead and we killed him. Oh, sure. So that yeah. it opens a lot of really disturbing doors, right? Oh, sure. Sure. But I can see how I, when I was growing up, my, you know, my, I told you my dad had a fence company and my, my brother and I went to work for him at a relatively young age. And um, I remember in high school building fences in the summer and I was so tired. It was a six, it was a six day work week, kind of minimum 12 hours a day. It was just the busy season. And that's when you made all of your money was in the, you know, it was just in the summer. You got, you had overtime, you had some government contract jobs that were just, they were very well paying. So you just put in all of the time in the summers. And I remember thinking it was all my mind was on was go to work. I got to eat. I got to refuel so I can work. I got to get at least as much sleep as I can, seven or eight hours so I can hustle the next day. And then on Sundays, I didn't go out and spend any money. I didn't go party. I didn't do anything. I rested and got ready for the next week. <laughs> and that was kind of, I mean, he kind of, we didn't really have a choice in going to work. He was like, all right, kids, you got to work hard this summer and save up some cash. But I can see how if that is, if that was the standard, like for your entire year, year after year, pre-industrial revolution, or even during the industrial revolution, I can see how there's just, that's a hard life. And some people still live it today. That is a hard oh, yeah. life. And I can see how, you know, these issues that come around, once you remove the necessity for all of that work, there are new issues that arise, you know, but they're a bit more existential issues, if I'm using that word mm -hmm. correctly. You are. Um, they're, they're slightly different issues, but yeah, it's just. And you had already brought up the point that sometimes it is the people who don't have this intellectual reflective nature that can bring love to situations the easiest. Mm. So it really is, you know, it is not a change in the essential nature of seeking. It's a change in kind of the focus right? Mm -hmm. It just changes the focus a little bit, maybe dials it in here and um, dials it out there. Uh, and it's really just about in the same way that like going from, uh, you know, protozoa and one celled organisms to multi-cell organisms, was just a change in the focus of consciousness, a change in the, in the rhythm of consciousness that just ups it up a little bit. Mm. We're constantly on this trajectory, uh, of the upward spiraling light. And so we're going to go through these shifts. The essential nature of things doesn't change, but the way that the, the like particulars of how we experience them change and nothing illustrates that as uh, totally as this idea of the role that fear plays in our consciousness in the moment. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about this long evolutionary time scale or this long historical time scale, but in the time scale of our lives, in the time scale of our day, fear is the thing that kind of changes that focus and love and more expansive idea 
of uh, ourselves and the creation can change that focus. And I really think in, in, in the raw material, they talk a lot about focus and the creator being a, the logos, in fact, mm-hmm. being a focus, right? And I think there's something in there that's very, very, um, uh, there's a mystery there to be solved. I don't know if I'm going to be the one to solve it, but something about the way that consciousness brings a focus to things yeah. and the, and the evolution is kind of like in part a modification of that focus. Hmm. Going back to this transcript, I do like how quo in, in the whole frame of this, in the flow of this conversation is bringing it back to the fact that these are spiritual seekers. They're seeking to open up that green ray energy center. Quo is bringing it back to the heart. It's saying when you don't have very much energy flowing to the heart, because we have fear blockages, you don't have enough energy to do work in consciousness. I love, I thanks for bringing us back to earth here. (laughs) I love that. Quo member finishes, finishes that uh, paragraph. It may be said that one cannot hear when one is screaming. And in a way that is what fear does. It deafens the ears of the heart. Quo continues. Yet this fear is a creature of love. And the patient seeker does have resources to bring to bear when a blockage is perceived in the energy body due to fear. These resources are generally not expressible in linear terms. When one sees fire, one has a perfect right to to fear the fire. It is hot, it will burn, and it threatens the survival of the physical body. There is no linear way to suggest to someone that he not fear fire or that he not at least be cautious and careful when using fire. The feeling of being invaded, being encroached upon, or being terrorized is a powerful kind of fear that moves both in red ray and in yellow ray, two primary rays that are most powerful. And we have no right to suggest to anyone that she not fear a terrorist attack. Yet, in a non-linear sense, if one can move back in thought, bringing the energy of the mind beyond the present moment and the present catalyst, and into the realm of personal essence and consciousness, the resources are powerful and ready to help. Another good paragraph. <laughs> and I like how Quo just confirms, yeah, if there's fire, it's okay to fear. <laughs> you you could die. That's okay. That's human. Yeah, to me, when they talk about the nonlinear and they contrast it with this very reasonable reaction that we have to events, right? That reminds me of an earlier Hatan. I think it was Hatan, maybe Axel, I'm not sure, where they talked about, where they they mentioned, you know, hey, do you are a second density animal that has a spirit complex. Are you going to react to events like an animal does in fear and in, uh, you know, the primacy of comfort and security? Or are you going to react based on principle, based on things that concepts that transcend the present moment, like a spirit does that put a lot of things in perspective. And I see that here when they're talking about this nonlinear sense that what could be less linear than thinking of ourselves beyond our lifetimes, beyond our ability to survive whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's asking a lot. 
And it is. we are here to ask a lot of ourselves so that we can grow. I also like how quote never makes us feel bad for being human, <laughs> you know, for feeling the fear. That's that Carla comes through a lot of that. Mm. I think uh, that compassion that Carla had for everyone and for the very, very human experiences that she shared with us, how, um, how confounding they can be. Quo continues, quote, For he shall give his angels charge over you to guide you in all your ways, lest you hurt your foot upon the stone, unquote. From the Holy Bible, Psalm 91, 1. This is a quotation from the holy works of this instrument, and it is true. Each entity has angelic beings attempting at all times to help and serve, to save and protect, to bless and nurture. Quote, Behold, I bring you good tidings, unquote. Holy Bible, Luke 2.10 that is part of the Christmas story of this instrument's Bible. An angelic being speaks to those who are afraid and says, This is the unknown, yet it is the birth of spirit, and this spirit is coming into the world. And this is the spirit of light, so have great joy. In the beginning, dealing with fears, it may be necessary to move slowly to allow the fear to be with you, uncomfortably so. Sitting with that, feeling the discomfort, creates within the seeker a growing awareness of the nature of this fear. Let me quickly pause because the, the Holy Bible quotes was one paragraph and now we're moving into a new one and I can kind of see why they're split. Quote, quotes, well, our Carla quotes, however that works some specific bible passages um essentially about look we've got help you've got angels you know it's the tools are available to deal with this to deal with these fears yeah this non-linear way of looking at things stretches back to ancient times mm. it's always been available hmm so going back to this next paragraph where Quo is uh, actually now digging into what do you do with fear, Quo starts by saying it may be necessary to move slowly to allow the fear to be with you, uncomfortably, fo uncomfortably so. Sitting with that, feeling the discomfort, creates within the seeker a growing awareness of the nature of this fear. As the one known as R said, sitting at the campfire with this fear, sharing a story, enjoying the night together, allowing this situation within to be what it is, is a helpful beginning. It may seem like nothing, but simply becoming quiet and still and accepting of the feelings that are in the heart is very helpful. One thing fear greatly needs is a lack of ridicule and an honest respect. That which is fear is that which is contracting within the energy body, that which is battening down the hatches, armoring and defending. Becoming able to sit quietly 
and with acceptance, with this fear, creates within the seeker the eventual feeling that it may be acceptable to somewhat allow this contracted state to melt away. The angelic help that moves towards the seeker at a time of fear is looking for ways to help the seeker expand and disperse and diffuse that contraction or tangle of energy that has been created by the fear. Jeremy, looked like you might have had a good thought. I don't want to. I don't want to keep going. If you got a good thought, no, I, I don't really have anything much to say about what you just said. Uh, it it's worth noting the contracting nature that fear represents mm-hmm. um, in a universe that where the entire existence is one heartbeat of the creator. Mm-hmm. It's, it's worth pointing out that expansion and contraction are both part of that. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, the question is, is how do we want to engage catalysts with our energy body? You know, another thing that uh, occurred to me is uh, in the earlier paragraph, uh, Quo mentioned uh, the birth of the spirit, the birth of the spirit in the unknown. Mm-hmm. And what I think maybe they're trying to say is that this fear is part of the condition in which we start as these, you know, self-conscious animals. No rational, reasonable um, reason to think that there's anything greater and then slowly over a bunch of experiences, we learn to trust this nonlinear, this, this greater force that we at first just have the inkling of or a weird experience of. And slowly over time, it grows in us. Um, I would also point out that there is a corollary with the matrix and potentiator of spirit in the archetypal mind system. Um, the matrix, the what you can think maybe of right now crudely as the starting point of the spiritual cycle, that card is the devil Mm. because what Ra says is that um, when our spiritual journey starts, it's in darkness Mm -hmm. and the, the potential to come to back to unity begins in a place of absolute separation and absolute darkness, absolute fear. And the potentiator, the thing that creates the motive force for us to, to move forward is represented by the lightning struck tower card. A sudden flash of light is what Ra says. These things, the spirit, the way that spirit relates to us is non-linear. It doesn't happen in a pattern. It happens, or at least not a pattern that we can recognize. It is in some ways extremely mysterious in the ability of us to build the spiritual strength of will to wait for that, to abide in faith that that will come, that that light will come, even though things seem dark right now. Mm. I cannot help but think that that is what is at least partially being referenced here, because it is the acceptance of the fear that allows us to see, you know, to look at it and to look at the potentials that may come to light if we hold on. But if we don't look at it, if we just, if we just contract and we try not to, we just try to like get it out of our head or we try to disrespect it in some way. We don't give it the respect that it deserves. I think that's where they're going with this. Mm -hmm. Um, That keeps us in this state where we're in this dualistic relationship with fear, this dualistic relationship of um, contending with the dark 
instead of accepting that sometimes that plants, the seed grows in the dark before it hits the light. Great. Everything starts in this dark, in this, in this rich fecund darkness. And it is out of that, that it, we, we strive towards the light. Maybe I'm uh, riffing a little bit too much here. No, it's a great, but great metaphor. I really feel pulled by this. Yeah. Uh, in that way. Well, and it's another, it's another challenge, right? That how are you going to grow if you, if you just ignore the challenge, if you ignore the problem, that internal conflict, you're, you're not going to grow. The growth comes from dealing with it, respecting it, dealing with it and learning either how to deal with it, learning a lesson about it. I I don't, I don't know, but I know that you're not going to learn anything. If you just try to ignore it, you're going to learn that it's going to stress you out. (laughs) That's what you're going to learn, you know? So it's, you got to figure out a way to deal with any, and I think, you know, most issues, most issues that come into your life. If you can accept the darkness, you have the potential to accept the light. If you can accept the fear and treat it with respect, then you have the basis to accept that divine help that doesn't seem like it comes from anywhere that you can trace the provenance. Mm. And yet it speaks in its polarity to the polarity of fear that you're dealing Mm -hmm. with. You see how you have to have the darkness to have the light. Yes. This is, there's something about the, 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 the story of existence that makes this part of our spiritual evolution. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to reread the last couple sentences of this paragraph before pushing forward. Quo was saying, The angelic help that moves towards the seeker at a time of fear is looking for ways to help the seeker expand and disperse and diffuse that concentration or tangle of energy that has been created by the fear. It is attempting to send you the energies of radiated love, that which, according to your holy works, and according to us, does cast out fear. One may look at various elements of fear in order, gradually, to emerge from that contracted feeling. Certainly, one energy that is prevalent in fear is the desire to control that which cannot be controlled. The issue of control is very difficult. Almost never does one have control over that which is the object of fear. That which can be controlled is generally not feared. It is precisely the inability to effect changes in something that seems desirable or undesirable that has created the fear. Man, I want to pause here because this is a, that's a, that's a grand slam sentence. You don't, Indeed. you don't fear that which you can control. It is almost by definition, <laughs> you know, it's just baked into the cake. It's the things you can't control that cause fear. And isn't that uh, tied up in our uh, earliest historical understandings of divinity? What did we, appe- what did, what did we appeal to the gods about? Oh yeah. Great harvest. All the things that we had no, <laughs> no control, control over, over yeah. right? Yeah. It was our first, maybe it was our first foray into the idea of uh, releasing the need to control to something higher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Quote continues, It is in this situation that archetypal images may help more than words, for images are not linear. Thus, 
When we speak of the leap of faith, we speak specifically of leaping into a void, putting oneself in a situation where there is no control. But indeed, the straightest road from fear to love is faith. The ability to move beyond the tangle in the stream of energy back to the source. And it is done not by moving to anything, but only from the position of fear. The classic paralyzing Buddhist description of fear is a seeker hanging on to a rapidly decaying branch of a tree on the side of a cliff with a tiger above and a tiger below and a chasm beneath. And the answer to that image is to let go of the branch, wave bye-bye to the tigers and welcome the abyss. There is, in faith, that realization that in no way, shape, or form can we know in a linear sense that all is well or that all will be well. And yet, this is what we claim. That is what we believe. And on that, we base our security and our confidence. Yet another dose that's, of perspective from Quo. That's, that's what it means to live as a spirit. That's what it means to be responsible, not just for your body, but for your mind and your soul to uh, stand on principle of what you think reality is. What do you think the creator and the creation actually is? Standing on that instead of just the things that occur to your eyes and your other senses on a moment-by-moment basis. That's faith. It's coming from within. You find it within. And you don't find it by ignoring fear. You find it from moving the, the focus outside of the limited place that fear wants you to look at yeah. and looking at a greater perspective. Yeah. Love this. And I think we all can think of people who have lived their lives in faith and done amazing things, you know, whether it be Mother Teresa, you know, serving in a leper colony or, you know, whatever it is, there are people who, and maybe not all religious people, um, but there are those who have, in the face of fear, acted with faith and have done amazing things. And uh, it's a great example for all, I think. Absolutely. I mean, that is a lot what polarizing the service to others is because if you're afraid, you're going to take care of yourself. If you can move past that fear, in fact, if you can use your own fear as a way to connect to other people's fears and let them know that they're not alone, that you feel the same thing, and yet you're not going to give into it. You're not going to limit who you are and what you represent to just the most pressing tangled thing that's inside of you, but instead you're going to radiate in spite of it. Yeah, That's the nonlinear thinking that yeah. they're talking about. And it comes from a place where you have tapped into something greater than yourself. You don't have that amount of love. You can only get there by opening up to the love of the creator and letting it flow through you. Remember, things come through, not to positive oriented beings. Mm. That's a great point, Jeremy. you know, recognizing the fear in yourself and almost sharing or empathizing with the fear of others 
letting them know that they're not alone and yet still living and leading by the example of, of living in faith. Yeah, I will point out right there what I just said. I just realized that's one way that fear can be a type of love. Hmm. If it brings two people closer together and allows them to comfort each other in spite of their fear, how is the fear not part of that, that connection that we are trying to build as we move into social memory and fourth mm-hmm. density? Like this is what it's about. It's honesty. Yeah, you know, it reminds me, I think I mentioned this on an earlier episode, but there's that Buddhist master who was asked how he deals with fear. And he says, I agree with it. Yeah. I agree with it. Yeah. It doesn't do any good to, faith is not spinning fictions for yourself that you believe in because you're never going to believe in a fiction. It has to be real for mm-hmm. you. Quo continues. This energy of faith seems to come to those in the darkest of hours and in the most pressing of circumstances. And it is in this sense that the tragedies of your September 11th attack may be seen to be beacons of light as well as fires of disaster. For in unsettling the smugness of perceived safety, these attacks at once made it very shiningly clear to all of those who speak the word freedom within your cultures, that a free and unfearing way of life was indeed a precious and wonderful thing, something dear and valuable and worth preserving. And this opened the energy systems of many as compassion for those who were victimized poured through half of your planetary population at once. So, tragedies serving as beacons of light, as well as fires of disaster. It's interesting. It's the same image. Imagine a fire on a hill. It's a fire, but it's also a beacon. And Yeah, we know where to go and put the water, right? Yes, (laughs) and the fear it may instill, but yet at the same time, the compassion that it draws forth. Yeah. I I just read a quote a few days ago that was talking about this kind of thing, saying um, this is a a big aspect of our spiritual experience, this two-natured way of looking at any event, right? There are two natures, at least, to any event, and you can look at the positive side or the negative side, and neither is incorrect. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's about a choice. Mm -hmm. It is. I, I don't think you necessarily even have to make the choice. You can honor both of them. What you don't do is you obscure one for the other, right? Yes. That's where the that's where the, the the viewpoint contracts. Yes. Yes. I would even throw in there or make a judgment call that one is bad or you're a bad person for you know, it just but recognizing what it is. Yeah, that that's that's exactly what I mean. Yeah, you hit you have it like it's these two ways of looking at it, and both of them are correct. And Understanding the, the the totality of it all, that the, that the duality is truly dual. It's not necessarily just one or the other. It's both of them. Quo again. Times of trial and trouble such as the one you experience now are those times when fear can be most crippling and when that leap of faith can be most powerfully effective. What thoughts are you thinking at this moment? What thoughts have crossed your mind this day? What are your patterns of thought? Where do you put the value in your thinking time?
And how would you choose to change those patterns of thought? Work in consciousness can be dazzlingly, dazzlingly fast and brilliant. Instantaneous changes and transformations can occur, but in an incarnational experience, the great majority of time is spent not in the flashes of illumination, but in those times between, in those valleys between the mountaintop experiences. And yet, those valleys can be your heaven or your hell or anything in between. Each thought that you think is at once an accident and a creation. Go for it. I don't know what to say. Like, I think it's pretty dang clear. It's great. There's some good visualization in here and just some good, just good things you can latch onto. Most of life, you don't spend on the mountaintops, on those peak experiences. You spend it in the valleys in between. And ain't that yeah, and the truth? <laughs> it is. I also just want to go back to the archetypes of spirit because flashes of illumination mm. Mm. Uh, uh, that punctuate otherwise dark experiences. And what, what is the archetypal image of the experience of mind? It is uh, the, the dogs howling at the moon. Mm. The moonlight is the light that we have in our normal waking experience. Everything is in a weird light. We can't quite see perfectly. We can see just enough, but not enough to truly see the true nature of all things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. I don't have much other than I would, I would reread that two or three times and probably enjoy it more and more every time I read it. Um, but con continuing yeah. quote continues through Carla. The challenge for the seeker is to become more and more conscious of the patterns of recurring thoughts, looking at those patterns of thought, asking the self, are these radiant or contracting thoughts that I am repeating? And if I would rather radiate than contract, how shall I affect the processes of this recurring thought? It is patient and slow work to gaze at the self and yet allow the self to function naturally and fully. But there is an interplay constantly going on between accidents of creation and that which you bring to creation that transforms those accidents. You are part of what happens to you. The thoughts which you habitually think create an atmosphere in which you may see something completely different than someone else may see the same thing. To another person, that sight may be frightening. To you, that sight may be quite tolerable. The difference is in the attitude, and work can be done on that attitude not in a weekend, not because of one book, not because of one teacher, not because of one idea, but over a period of time in which the seeker has been thoughtful persistently. Another Grand Slam paragraph right here. This was the paragraph that I had called out as my favorite in this. Mm. It's, a, it's a great the, uh, one. The pattern, so like what they're doing is they're tying, so that we have this, we have this grand duality of experience that they've been impressing upon us and how it relates to the energy system and how it relates to our experience of life and how it relates to this nonlinear 
transcendent experience that we can tap into that kind of floats above our mundane quotidian experience. Mm. But then it all comes down to thought. Thought is the fulcrum on which it all turns, it seems like. It's the thought where we, we don't have control over the accidents, right? Thought is the Each fulcrum. Each thought you think is at once an accident and a creation. We don't, have a, we don't have a control over what the nature of those things are, but we do have a control over how we think them, how we place them, how we chew on them and create um, some sort of faith out of how we process that that can allow us to open up and, and, and be part of something greater than ourselves so that we are not just linear reactive creatures. And they say it is patient and slow work. Yes. You're not like, going to get it. This is not of... just reading the, yes, this is not just reading the power of now. Sorry to talk over you, no, but no. like I know so many people who have, I have had this experience. I'm sure you have reading a very powerful book and you're like, wow, that really changed my life. And you know what? It really didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't change your life because you didn't have the transformation of consciousness that the book was showing you a picture of and you admired that picture. Well, friends, I hate to be the one to say this, but spiritual evolution is not just, you know, admiring these ideas. If I could impress one thing on you, this whole podcast, go beyond, get, have faith in yourself to go beyond the, 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 the brightness of these ideas. Mm. They're beautiful ideas and they call to the deepest within us. But until you do the thoughtfully persistent work of applying them to your own life and going into meditation to reflect upon that, it will just be a hobby that you have yep. to think about these beautiful ideas and that will never take root in your soul. And I did that for so long. I just, if I had only known. Yeah. That one book, that one teacher, that one idea can serve as the seed that is planted, but it's up to you to water that seed, give it some sun. It's up to you to grow the seed. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, you, and, and what is, I, I, th there are a few sentences that catch me like that one that starts, you are part of what happens to you. Yes. What happens to you, you're part of. It's not this thing that's happening to, it's not an attack on you, right? Like, yes. it's not you and then this thing happening to you. It's all part of a unity. And that is a big part of what I think we were alluding to earlier when we, talk, when we talked about taking responsibility, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Taking responsibility means breaking the separation between events and the self and recognizing the role that you play in programming the events pre-incarnatively yep. in how you think about them and how you ground them in your life. Do you, do they, do they kind of wash over you and slick off your back or do you find a way to digest them and give them to the creator in the most refined processed poignant way that gives the creator the true thing that it seeks in all of this drama, mm. which is an understanding of itself the creator understanding itself. And we are all little neurons in that gigantic d divine brain working on our part of the puzzle. Yep. And every time we, we, we solve a Sudoku or whatever, <laughs> we, we give the creator something that it can't get on without us. Yeah. We are unique in providing that lesson. All that's asked 
of us is to slow down and to appreciate all of this, to have the patience for what's for the truly cosmic task that we are that we are given. I mean, yeah, that's the thing is that it's not easy. It's actually very, very difficult. It's very, very long. It is. And to take responsibility for that. That's okay. One day at a time. Yeah. Yes. I'll stop talking yeah. now. Sorry. Well, let's see what Quo finishes up with because we've got one more paragraph. Quo continues and finishes up here. At the heart of fear is a situation which at once defines your experience and is irrelevant to your experience. And that is your physical life. The root fear, the fear that closes Red Ray, is the fear of survival. Within your physical incarnation, you shall never be free of the fear of death, for death is inevitable. From dust was the body created, and to dust shall the body return. Once it is seen clearly and at a basic level that this physical death is an illusion, then there is much less distortion and contraction possible. But it is seldom given to the seeker to come into full knowledge of her true nature. Seldom is it that he can see the inevitability of this revival of consciousness through the death of the body. Insofar as it is possible, we recommend daily immersion in silence, because it is in that region of the self alone that the truths of the metaphysical reality can flower in such a way as to fortify the vagrant imagination and strengthen the ability to have patience with the self and with circumstances that are other than what you would wish them to be. To see all of these elements of your personal story as simply what they are is a powerful resource. To know that faith can change that story is a powerful resource also. Again, Quo reminding us that we're not crazy for being human and fearing death. However, if we're able to get if we're able to understand or accept and accept the fact that we will die, then um, what do they say here? We don't need to contract. We don't. We don't need that contraction any longer. Mm. That protects us and holds on to the to the flesh, right? Because we're all we're going to We're going to let go of that flesh one way or another, mm -hmm. and then we can start to really focus on consciousness. And uh, the unique challenge that we have of uh, grounding this larger consciousness in our uh, in the in the in this weird planet, this weird like three dimensional thing that we're uh, moving through right now. Yeah, I think Quo. It's always about meditation. It is, it is, and I think Quo does a good job again through Carla does a great job of addressing this resetting the stage okay there's fear let's get on the same page here fear is a part of creation and what is the creation it is only love okay so there's that <laughs> it's still hard to wrap your mind around but that's still what it is and with that love we still have free will we still have our thoughts our thoughts create 
our existence. They create our sub-universe. I love how Kuo says, um, each of you is an agent of this creator within a certain degree of latitude in creating the sub-universe, which is your personal reality. Love that because it, it yeah. takes that old like kind of, oh, that guy lives in his own world. You know, it kind of makes that real, you know? Yeah, it is his own world and this is my world and that's your world. And we all do kind of live in our own worlds, don't we? We do. And I do like how Kuo reminds us that it's tough to do work in consciousness. We don't have the energy necessary to do work in consciousness to open up that green, green ray, unconditional love and understanding when you have those energy blockages in the lower levels that are caused by fear. But Kuo says it's okay to fear. So what do you do? Let's recognize them. Let's accept them. Let's see them for what they are. And let's live in faith that everything's going to be okay. It's such a compassionate way to look at our lives. It's, I don't, I don't, I guess when I was growing up, I never really thought this way. And it's just such a breath of fresh air to be able to allow myself both fear and a wider perspective. That can make room for fear. Mm. It doesn't need, that doesn't, no, I was about to say, that doesn't fear fear. <laughs> the only thing to fear is fear itself. <laughs> yeah. Uh. But I, I do think that, uh, first of all, um, understanding uh, all of these experiences of fear and love and survival and transcendence as uh not simply ideas in the head, but as a full spectrum energy experience that we have a whole system to work with, uh, to, to understand is a real, a real revelation. Mm -hmm. And I would also point out that, you know, you and I are going to continue throughout this podcast foolishly trying to understand this stuff, but it's worth pointing out once again, is it about understanding? Is it about cracking the code? Uh -uh. It is about accepting it. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of time for, uh, uh, you know, you know, untying the Gordian knot in the millions and billions of years that <laughs> is going to follow this brief blink of time in our lot, in our, uh, in our total existences. We don't have to understand and put it in a box and tie a bow on it. All we have to do is open up and have faith. That's all I got, my friend. Thought that was a great. I mean, session. we made it through. <laughs> That's a, that was a great session, and uh, as as Kuo states, you're not gonna you're not gonna win, or you're not gonna get it because of one book or one teacher or one idea, but over a period of time, in which the seeker has been thoughtful, persistently, and again, I just love these conversations because so many seeds get planted. Now I forget yeah. a lot of where those seeds were planted. I just forget them and they kind of die, but then you bring them back up again. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that one. That was great. And I, you know, then it starts the watering process all over again. But so many seeds get planted. It's just good things to stew on. And one thing that's been coming up lately, is just living in faith, living in faith. Yeah. And especially in the context of this uh, session, uh, faith contrasted with control. Yes. I don't think we put enough attention on this issue of control yes. um, that it really is the place 
they really put a fine point on it, that we fear the things that we can't control. And that a lot of what our society has become over time has been taking more and more control over things. Um, and yet we, it constantly slips, slips through our fingers, uh, all of the little like uh, edge cases that then become other problems that we can't control and we struggle to control. Meanwhile, just accepting our situation uh, yields a lot more creativity and the ability to, uh, you know, uh, take this nonlinear view that I really uh, find a lot in common with the energy of faith. Uh, I think there's a real uh, parallel there between what they describe as a nonlinear approach to understanding events, to accepting events, and this energy of faith that can open up to a wider, a wider view of things and doesn't require our intellectual understanding uh, to prosecute this energy, yeah. right? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I think we could do a whole other episode on, on control, on fear and control, and but living in faith. Um, again, that's that, there's just so much orange ray and yellow ray work that I think so many people get stuck on, and I'm only assuming people get stuck on it because I still get stuck on it. And I think that when I look at advertisements from the, with this lens of uh, well, you can't control others' opinions and how many products are out there are to help you make you look or feel a certain way so that others will feel a certain way about you. Anyway, I'm kind of digressing there, but it's uh, it just feels like so much no, of no, no, so no. much of the culture is like ah, it, it's it's kind of fear based. So that's what that's what drives news. It's what drives the algorithm. It's what drive. It's just you know fear is what, oh, what yeah. drives the culture. It feels like so. I think anything we can do to try to. Ah, what is a consumer purchase, but an attempt at control in some way, right? So what yeah. is the advertisement, yeah. but uh, selling you on the idea that you have control if only you if buy this. Only. Mm. You can feel happy yeah. if only you buy this, right? Yeah. I made a joke with my brother, like, you know, imagine we had like zero point energy and we had electrogravitic cars, you know, we got to float and we got to travel at half a light, whatever it was. Within a month, people would be like, my Uber's late. <laughs> you know, my floating Uber to go to, you know, to go to the North Pole isn't here on time. It, you know, it just, I just had a thought. It doesn't matter what we have, where we are at. We're always going to feel like we're suffering, that something's going wrong, that something's negative. You know, <laughs> there's always something that we can't control and which which just uh, makes me think that it just reminds me where I'm at in my life and where I want to be. Just remember, Ryan, doesn't matter what I have now versus what I want versus what I will have later. I'm going to feel like the same guy and I'm going to have the same kind of issues. And those issues are regardless of my possessions or what, whatever it is, what's in my 401k, my issues are my issues. And, uh, you know, what can I do to work on, work on those, learn those lessons that are needed? It's not all uh, a veil of sorrow and unknowing. I mean, you do have flashes of insight every oh, once in a while. Totally. Like, for instance, uh, moments of illumination where maybe you get exposed to your mindset from 10 or 20 years ago. And you get a chance to really take the perspective of how much you have grown that you didn't notice on a on the day-by-day -day basis, right? Yeah. 
I hear you there. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. Every now and then you pull up. But it's not all the time. It's not. But no, those flashes of insight are like gold. If you can recognize them. And I think this is one thing, and this will kind of be some of my final thoughts. When you do start meditating yeah. and you learn how to calm the mind a little bit and you become a bit more aware of the thoughts that pop in, you can you can set up these kind of flagging mechanisms where a thought will pop into your head and you can latch onto it and go, oh, that's a that's a flash of insight or it's, you know, it's not just a random thought. It's something you can latch onto and maybe assign a bit more importance to something that you should take into another meditation or something you can stew on. But, um, yeah, yeah if nothing else, it gives you the choice to do that. Right. Correct. Whereas like, if you're just kind of like in the, in the, the day to day, like you never really give yourself the opportunity to make that observation. Yeah, right. Correct. Correct. Well, I've got, thank you for hashing this out with me again. It's like, anytime I come into something here's, it's funny how this is works. It's like, Jeremy, I love this one. Can, can I talk to you about this? <laughs> I think that I feel like that's what these podcasts are. Me like me going, dude, can, let me talk to you about this. I, that I really like. <laughs> and then, you know, that's how I feel. But, but thank you because again, you reminded me of a few things that we've spoken about in the past that, seeds that I need to water a bit more that kind of fall off the map. And, um, yeah, it's just always a, it's always a blessing to chat with you. And we would love to extend this conversation to you listener. Uh, feel free to reach out to us. I would love to talk with any of you. It doesn't have to be email. Like we can get on a video chat. Uh, I in particular, am looking for people who are dedicated to this philosophy who want to have deeper conversations. So uh, I am absolutely earnest that I will give you, I will give you time and we will find a way to have a conversation. If there's anything that you would like to talk about, or if you just want to connect with somebody who shares this philosophy that you love, uh, you found the guy, uh, you found the guys. Um, but I don't, he, uh, Ryan's a family man. <laughs> My schedule's I, a little. I have the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got one on the way too. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go missing. I'm gonna go missing here in a few weeks. So, but yeah. Um, oh boy, is it that close? It is. She's she's 34 weeks pregnant right now. So in, in three weeks she'll be. It'll it'll be game on. So brother, we got to get you off this podcast right now. <laughs> You've got stuff to I do. I know. Well, well, friends, thank you for listening. Again, it's always a treat and we do look forward to, uh, well, we look forward, I look forward to these conversations, but I hope you look forward to, uh, you know, look forward to checking in again. And on that note, in the meantime, stay in the love and light.